My name is Joe Hawkins, and this is the History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects podcast. Welcome to History of the Mormon Church in 50 Objects, Episode 9, The Angel Moroni Statue. In the last episode, I touched on the infamous Indian Removal Act signed by Andrew Jackson in 1830, the same year the Mormon Church was founded. As Americans continued to grow and move slowly west, Indians and their native ways of living were constantly in the way. Many times, the expanding Americans were colliding violently into the Indians. Most Americans at this time considered the Indians savages and quite barbaric, and the thought of having them as neighbors had become quite repulsive. As this act was moved into effect, all the Indian nations were being moved to the western borders of Missouri, Oklahoma, and Kansas. This type of removal would eventually lead to the terrible Trail of Tears, where 15,000 Creek Indians were forced to make the long march to Oklahoma. Estimates show that more than 3,500 of them wouldn't survive the trek. Clearly, most Americans at this time, though Christian, had very poor opinions of the Native American peoples. I'd like to now read a verse from the New Testament. The book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 6. It reads, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. What would be the reaction of those early expanding Christian Americans if they were told that the angel that John saw flying out of the midst of heaven, bringing those Christians the everlasting gospel, was an Indian? Today's object is the Angel Moroni statue. If the LDS Church had a logo, the outline of Moroni and the color gold, which used to be found on the covers of most of the Books of Mormon, might be it. So what is the Angel Moroni statue, and what is its role in church history? Moroni, if you'll recall, was the resurrected being who guided Joseph Smith to the gold plates. But who was Moroni? The story of Moroni is found in the pages of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is roughly broken up into the stories of two groups of ancient peoples living in the Americas that were called the Nephites and the Lamanites. Without digging too deeply into the details, the Nephites were basically all believers in God, and the Lamanites were those who didn't believe God. The Book of Mormon encaptures their culture, the movements, the governments, the history, and their wars. The book actually ends when a giant war between the iniquitous believers, the Nephites, and the Lamanites, with the Lamanites ultimately winning and wiping out all the God-believing Nephites. Moroni was the last Nephite prophet, and his father compiled all the history and teachings of the previous Nephite prophets going back to their time in Jerusalem into a book, hence the name, the Book of Mormon. So Moroni, the last Nephite prophet, hid the plates from the Lamanites before ultimately disappearing himself. To Mormons, the indigenous peoples of North, Central, and South America are some of the descendants of the Lamanite tribes. When Moroni came to Joseph, He wasn't just fulfilling the prophecy of an angel flying out of the midst of heaven carrying the everlasting gospel, but that the gospel as restored to Joseph was to be preached, as it is said in that verse, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Moroni wasn't just revealing to Joseph the gold plates. 
he was ushering in a great missionary movement. The gospel was to go forth throughout the world. So where was Joseph to start? The Book of Mormon itself inspired him. The title page of the Book of Mormon contains the declaration that the plates were preserved so that the Lamanites might come to the knowledge of their fathers and that they may know the promises of the Lord, that they may believe the gospel and rely upon the merits of Jesus Christ. So one of the primary purposes of the Book of Mormon is to bring the Lamanites to Jesus Christ. Some missionaries needed to be sent forth. So who were the first Mormon missionaries to answer Moroni's call? The men who took up the calling were Oliver Cowdery, Peter Whitmer Jr., Parley P. Pratt, and Zeba Peterson. The Book of Mormon tells the story of four missionaries that left everything to teach the Lamanites. Their names were Ammon, Aaron, Omner, and Himni. Apparently, this is where Oliver and Joseph got the idea for four missionaries. Oliver even went as far as to have them all sign a letter committing them to the work and promising them success like what was had with those ancient Nephite missionaries to the Lamanites. As the Indian Removal Act had already gone into effect, these men were required to travel across the early U.S. states all the way to Oklahoma and Kansas and into Indian Territory. They were carrying copies of the Book of Mormon, and they headed out on foot to reach the Indians. Before actually leaving New York State, there were still some groups of the Seneca Indian Nation found in Buffalo, New York. The four missionaries stopped in Buffalo to teach the Seneca Nation about their ancient origins and about the gospel before being forced out by government officials. The real success of these four missionaries, and a turning point in the church really, happens as they walk their way to the Indian nations in Oklahoma and Kansas. They would have unheard of success in the towns along the way throughout Ohio and Missouri. We'll discuss those experiences in another episode. Now the trek to the Indian nation became very difficult, as the winter of 1830 became known as the Winter of the Deep Snow. The four men would recount traveling on foot for 300 miles, through vast prairies and through trackless wilds of snow, on no beaten road. Parley P. Pratt wrote in his journal that the houses were few and far in between, and that the bleak northwest wind was always blowing in their faces and felt like it would take the skin off them. But after a lot of suffering, they finally arrived in Independence, Missouri, on the extreme western frontiers of the United States. They had arrived on the borders of the Indian nations. After arriving, the men then split up, with some staying behind in Independence to work for money, while Oliver Cowdery and Parley P. Pratt went over into Indian Territory. They first preached to the Shawnees and the Delawares. Speaking through an interpreters, they shared the message of the Book of Mormon being preserved to tell them of some of their ancestors. Apparently, the Delawares were very receptive, as the chief requested that the missionaries return in the spring to teach them concerning the Book of their Fathers and the will of the Great Spirit. However, as the spring arrived, unfortunately, federal agents weren't happy with Mormons teaching the Indians and expelled them from the territory. Try as the men might, they were unsuccessful in getting federal authorization to return to the Indian nation. Although this was a bitter end of the first Mormon mission and the work with the Indians, it was hardly the ending of a Mormon mission work. In upcoming episodes, we'll discuss the Mormon missionaries' work around America and also the world. But more importantly, it was just the beginning with the indigenous peoples of the Americas. As the Mormons continue to move west, they take every opportunity to teach the Indians. Even Joseph Smith, 
while the Mormons are in Nauvoo, Illinois, would meet with local Indian chieftains to teach them the gospel. In 1850, Mormons will be leaving on missions to Hawaii and New Zealand to teach the indigenous peoples there. In 1851, Parley P. Pratt and other missionaries would land in South America and Chile and begin the work among the Indians in South America. In 1879, missionaries were off to Mexico to start teaching the people there. Throughout the 1870s and on, missionaries will be traveling around the southern American states teaching Indians. Today, due to the work of missionaries, somewhere over 5 million Mormons reside among the indigenous peoples of North, Central, and South America. So, what role did the angel Moroni play in Mormon history? Moroni inspired the creation of a missionary program that was launched to restore the Lamanites, or indigenous peoples, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That missionary work will be pushed across the globe. Where can you see the angel Moroni statue? It can be now found on top of Mormon temples. It's about 15 feet tall and colored in gold. The first time an angel was placed on top of a Mormon temple was the Nauvoo, Illinois temple. Though that was a weather vane with a flying angel and it wasn't specifically mentioned as Moroni. The current design was first used on the Salt Lake Temple, and versions of it have been used on every Mormon temple since that time, including the rebuilt Nauvoo, Illinois Temple. The Angel Moroni statue as it is now was created by Cyrus Dallin, who was not a Mormon. He created it after studying that verse from Revelations we read at the beginning of this episode. Cyrus wrote that, Working on the project brought me nearer to God than anything I ever did. It seemed to me that I came to know what it means to commune with angels from heaven. The Angel Moroni statue is now depicted with him blowing a trumpet, which symbolizes the revelation proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, going forth to all the world and calling people to repentance. The statue depicts Moroni wearing a robe. The robe symbolizes righteousness, as found in Isaiah 61.10. The statue also depicts Moroni wearing a crown on his head, not a halo, the crown symbolizes glory and exaltation in God's kingdom as found in 1 Peter 5.4. And the statues generally faced east, symbolically looking for the return of Christ, who will be coming from the east at his second coming, as found in Matthew 24.27. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the Angel Moroni statue. I hope you'll take some time to go look at one of the statues on top of Mormon Temple or look it up on Google and think of the role that it played in the history of the Mormon Church, inspiring those early and modern-day missionaries to teach Indians and indigenous people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, if you have questions or comments on this episode, you can email me directly at joehomchistoryofmormonchurch at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.